There is One by Gutman Locks. 127. Consider, what is the power of the East and what is its attraction? Do the people who practice it really perform miracles? Deep in South India, there is a guru who has more than 8 million devotees. Now, perhaps 60 million. Many of these devotees gather at his ashram for festivals and to request favors such as blessings for healings or wealth. What is the special attraction of this particular guru that entices so many people to make this so-called spiritual pilgrimage? While there, the devotees witness the guru materializing diamonds, books, candies, virtually anything the devotee desires. He then gives these gifts to whom he wishes. For a devotee to receive such a gift is considered to be a great blessing, far beyond its material value. Can he really do this, or is it mere trickery? Another guru outside of Bombay regularly demonstrates the power to so-called zap his devotees with great bolts of energy, even from afar. The devotees consider this a great blessing, that reinforces their belief in the Guru and his teachings. Other Gurus throughout India demonstrate various strange and apparently unnatural powers. Are these all tricks or hypnotism? These definitely do occur. Not only are they really happening, but this power comes through the hand of Abraham our father as explained in the Torah. The Torah tells us that Abraham had many children. To Yitzchak, to Isaac, he gave everything he had, but to the other sons, he gave them gifts and sent them on to the East Country. These gifts are defined by our sages as the names of unclean powers. One of these descendants of Abraham is named Asherim, which is defined as a camp. Today, when one seeks out a man with such mystical powers in the East, he goes to his ashram, and there he finds today's descendant of Ashram. The man with this power will profess some connection with Brahmanism, which is named after Abraham. One of the three godheads, so-called godheads, in this religion is Shiva, which is the name of one of Abraham's grandchildren whom he sent to the East. One of the major examples of a so-called God incarnate is a man called Ram. Ram, in Hebrew, means exalt or raise. One of the mystical names of God revealed in the Torah is Aleph Vav Mem, pronounced Om. The central and most often used chant of the Brahman religion is Om. Abram is called the Hebrew, which means from the other side of the river. Hindu, the name of the people of India, is also translated as coming from beyond or across the river, albeit certainly a different river. Indian history teaches that a fair-skinned people came from beyond the Indus River and brought the religion that they mixed in with their present-day religion, which is still practiced there today. When a Jew travels to India to seek out the knowledge of this power and even acquires it, he has spiritually ceased being Yitzchak, the son of Abraham, and his wife Sarah, and rather he becomes Ashurim, the son of Abraham, and his concubine. In effect, he gives up the inheritance of everything he had he gave on to Yitzchak, and instead inherits 
but unto the sons of the concubine that Abram had, he gave them gifts and sent them away onto the east country. What initially attracts the eye often loses its attraction. As a person receives a diamond or a power from a guru, he feels blessed. As time goes on, he will realize that the guru has replaced God with the guru's form and the practice of truth and ethical behavior with the guru's private brand of spirituality. Even when the truth is known, it is not always so easy to free oneself from the grip of a spiritually unclean practice. A particularly powerful guru near Bombay taught hundreds of thousands of devotees mostly Americans and many of them Jews, the secret of what he called the highest vision possible. He wrote a popular book revealing what he called the deepest truth. The name of the book was The Blue Pearl. In this book, he described in detail the methods of attaining this vision. Many devotees took his teachings to heart and went off for years of deprivation, meditating in caves or cemeteries, anywhere they could be alone. Year after year, they forced themselves to seek this vision that finally did come to a few, the blue light. It's an exquisite vision that flashes before the mind's eye, rendering the meditator flabbergasted all but unconscious. Upon seeing it, the meditator feels greatly rewarded. It surpasses any beauty imaginable. But also, it then produces a heaviness that begins to weigh against the mind and eyelids. The most so-called successful seekers found this blue hue glowing before their eyes even when they were not meditating. They walked around as if departed from the world. They were considered to have attained so-called great heights, but it did not help them. Were they happy? No. They were dazed, and after some time, they became extremely concerned about this heavy light. It was beautiful, but then it began to hurt. Their eyesight blurred as this so-called beauty would sweep across their vision. But they were helpless. There was no chapter in the blue pearl on turning this light off. What does the Torah say about this vision? If only these young people would have read the Torah or the Zohar or the Tanya instead of the blue pearl. These books explain that the blue light is actually the lowest light, not the highest. The Torah says the blue light is under his feet. For proof of this, the Zohar Chadash points to the flame of a candle. The blue is always on the bottom. The white light, the clear glow which surrounds the upper portion of the flame is the highlight, not the blue light. The Zohar warns all colors seen in dreams and visions are a good omen except blue which denotes judgment and has the power to snatch away souls. It goes on to say much ardent prayer is needed to avert this from happening. The Tanya describes the pristine whiteness which comes before coloration. Now the magnitude of this error can be seen. It's no small thing to give a seeker such inaccurate advice. It is much more difficult to get rid of such an unclean power than it is to acquire it. Still, we are given choice, spiritually and physically. What we want will come. So the question must be, is this really what I want? Look carefully and try to anticipate the consequences. Look for advice in trustworthy places. 
if there's a watchman swinging a lantern in the darkest night, you certainly will take heed. Whatever your decisions, do not go after gods that your fathers feared not. There is one dot com.